0: Man, it's good to be back with you guys. I love what God's doing here. Some of you guys here, weren't here last weekend, and I spoke, I'm back today. My name is Chris Spradlin, and uh, I am from Oklahoma City, where it's ugly, and they have red dirt, and it's not very fun. Uh, And I've got three kiddos. We call ourselves Team Sprad. All right? And you'll hear a little bit from those guys in just a bit. And I have got a smoking hot wife. Her name is Jody. And we… Check this out. Tomorrow, we'll be married 18 years. How about that? Yeah! That's what I'm talking about. She has put up with my mess for 18 years. She's some kind of woman. I, uh, I am actually a… Uh, I'm a writer, I'm a blogger, author, speaker… And I write at EpicParent.TV. And so I speak into the lives of parents and families. You guys can go and uh, check that out if you would. Our mission is that we will empower and unleash a new generation of parents. And that's what we are solely focused on doing. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little, I'm going to give you a glimpse inside the doors of of Epic Parent in just a second, but I've got a question for you. How many iPhone users do we have in the house? Raise your hand up. iPhone, iPhone. Okay, put your hand down. How many iPhone fivers do we have? We have any fives out there? Got just a few of you. How about Droid? We have any Droid fans? All right, got some Droids out there. How many of you have a spouse that is addicted to their cell phone? Would you raise your hand? And the rest of you are liars, straight to the pit of hell lying in church, right? So listen, Team Sprad got together one day without me and said, we're sick of our dad always being on the phone. And they came up with a solution. So today, Epic Parent is going to present a solution to your kids that will heal your cell phone addiction. Check this out. Hey, hey this is Cole Spradlin. Chris' oldest son, coming to tell you about my new invention called No Cell phone Ball. Pretty sweet. It took me about five minutes with duct tape and a. Bounty ball. So, there's nothing kids hate more than when their parents are stuck on the phone whenever they're trying to talk to them. Like, here's one example. Whenever your son comes in or your daughter comes in to from school and you're just like, Hey, Dad, I just want to tell you about my day today. Yeah, I, I see what you're, yeah, mm-hmm. And then they say, I just, I did really good. on." I say, oh, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. And another example is whenever you're sitting at the dinner table and your dad's phone goes off, And your dad just picks it up and starts going on about business. I just wanted to advance with this new marketing thing that blah, 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 blah. Kids hate that more than anything else. So my dad's on the phone, and we're just gonna go test out this new adventure. It's gonna be pretty sweet. (laughs) I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna go on a Tuesday. Oh! Cell phone (laughs) ball! Oh, works every time. Pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> www.epicparent.tv <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That hurt, man. That's what you'll find at epicparent.tv. Stop by and see us. Listen, I, I just want you guys to know that it truly is an honor to be here. I love the work of God, and I love what's going on here. Pastor Lynn, thank you very much. It's a big deal to me that he would trust me to come in, this foundation that he's laid, and I I don't take that lightly. I take it very seriously, and I think what blows me away the most when I think about Pastor Lynn is that 17 years ago, he was called to plant this work. And he planted seed after seed after seed. When nobody showed up, he stepped into his call and planted seed after seed after seed. In the good times, he planted seed after seed after seed. In the bad times, you had a pastor that is committed to his calling, and in the bad time, he planted seed after seed after seed. And because of his faithfulness and planting Day after day after day after day, 17 years later, we wake up and a community is being transformed, thousands of lives have been changed. It's unbelievable, absolutely (laughs) unbelievable. And so, Pastor Lynn, I truly honor the work that you've put in and what God's doing here. And again, it's an honor. I'm excited to be here. So I, of course, I live in Oklahoma City, but I've also lived in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Some of you guys maybe been there, done a little snowboarding, something like that. Yeah, it's a great place to be, great place to live. Um, I got to tell you a story, though. I was on staff at a church. This church had about 30 acres. We had ponds rope swings, mountains, caves, porcupines, owls, bats, everything that you can imagine. One night, I'm burning the midnight oil, right? I'm up at the office till about midnight, okay? Finishing some work up. I get done. I load my backpack up. I've got a drink or something, and I'm loaded down. And so I come up to the door, right? Right? I open it, I turn around, I shut the door, I'm going to walk back to my car, I turn around and bam, there he is. Seven foot, 1,000-ish pound bear, black bear, 18 inches, I could have Gave him a kiss on his belly button. And it's like time just froze. And I peed in my pants. Maybe number two. I'm not going to say that in church. Depends would have been nice. But it's like time just froze. You know, it's like just absolutely stillness set in. And I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do here? Uh, I'm going through like movie scenes and Rambo and stuff like that. And and man, this bear was huge. He had like 10-inch ninja warrior knife claws, okay? Had these huge fangs that were just dripping with saliva. And he sounded like a freight train when he would growl. And so we're just sitting there, man. He, he's sitting over me, and I'm like this, and all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I'm going to die. I got to at least try this. You guys remember Danielson son in, in the 80s, right? I'm like, I'm just going to try it, okay? The crane kick. You got it, sister. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And, and bam, and I kicked him. And he actually went back about, I am totally lying. I screamed like a junior high girl and ran in and, like, cried under my desk for an hour. It was unbelievable. There is, in many of your lives, a seven-foot, 1,000-pound bear that is looming over you. And many of you, just like me, you're cowering. Genesis 4, 7 says, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. That bear was crouching at the door, just waiting for me to open it just a little bit. And as soon as I did, he lunged and went after me. The enemy is waiting for you to just open the door a little bit. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The enemy, Satan, wants to destroy your life. He wants to take you out. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to get you addicted. He wants to get, he wants to lure your kids away from Jesus and his church. He's out to steal from you and destroy you. John 8, says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. Listen to those four words, say them with me. No truth in him. Zero. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. Look at those four words. Say them with me. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The enemy, Satan, is looming over you. He is a liar and he is whispering subtle suggestions into your ear, into your mind, into your heart. For some of you, it's not subtle suggestions. It's blatant, outright lies. And there's some of you here, and you have taken the lies of the enemy, and you have deposited them in you, and you believe it as if it is true. Some of you here have exchanged the truth of God For a lie of the enemy. What are some of the lies that we believe? You are what you do. You are what other people say about you. You are a failure. The reality is failure is never a person, but it's always an event. Some of you believe the lie that you will never overcome your addiction, that God will never forgive you, God will never use you because of your past. There's some of you that have signed that contract and you believe that. Some of you believe that you are something because you have material wealth. Others of you believe that you are nothing because you do not have material wealth. Others believe that you are nothing because uh, you just believe that God doesn't care about you. Some of you believe that you're a horrible father. There's moms out here. You believe that you're not a good enough mother. Some of you believe you're incapable, not smart. Somebody, some of you believe that you're a nobody, that you can't be good at this Christian thing, that your marriage will never work. And there's others of you believing the lie that you will not. Always be single. And I'm here to tell you that the enemy is looming over you, and his number one goal is to get you to sink your teeth into and believe these lies of the enemy. But let me tell you what we're going to do today. We're going to expose these lies, and we're going to give you the tools to exchange the lies of the enemy for the truth of God. Here's the thing. A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. Bam, that's good. You must be sleeping because somebody should have stood up and ran around on that one. I'm going to say that one more time. (laughs) A lie believed as truth will affect you as if it were true. John 8, 32 says, then you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. The very first truth that some of you need to take and download inside of you, if you guys are taking notes, go ahead and grab your big chief tablet and number two pencil and write this one down for me, all right? You remember that, don't you? The first truth is you are the son of And daughter of God. There's some of you that need to believe that today. Let me tell you where our story kicks off. It's with King David, right? King David, when he was just a young shepherd boy, was anointed as the future king of Israel. He never walked in arrogance, he always walked in humility. King Saul found out King Saul was angry and mad and he put a strategic plan together to kill David and to take him out. You can only imagine, going into every town, there's a most wanted poster of you. I'm sure he was in and out of mountains fighting for his life, just wondering if he was gonna gonna have food for that day, if he's gonna have water. Going in and out of caves and rivers, desperately fighting for his life. And where we find him in Psalms 139, he darts into this cave, okay? And he grabs his journal, and he grabs his pencil, and here's what he writes down. Psalms 139, 13. For you created my inmost being. I'm sure David felt like a failure, like God had abandoned him, that nobody wanted him, that he was a nothing. And it's almost like David had to get in that cave and get out his pen and paper and remind himself in the midst of the lies, in the midst of the chaos, he had to reaffirm his position And he wrote down, for you created my inmost being. He had to remind it, God, you are my creator. You are my father. You are my dad. Galatians 4, 6 and 7 says, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, Listen to this. So you are no longer a slave. And there's some of you here this weekend, and you're a slave, and you are chained to the lies, and you continue to believe them. And he says, listen, you are no longer a slave, but you are what? God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir got a friend named Stacy, Stacy's about 35. Uh, she called Jody and I about eight months ago and told us that she had just been diagnosed with stage four bio duct cancer, okay? Two kids, Allison is uh, 12 and Ashton is three. So she's been going to chemo, three different treatments, nothing is working. She just recently had a PET scan that got the results. And they said, Stacy, your diagnosis is that you're not going to live. And so they've given her anywhere from 10 to 18 months. Somebody lives right around the corner. Man, we're deeply embedded into their lives. Her daughter Allison goes to school and finds out that someone has created and Allison is ugly and fat Instagram account pointing at her. She goes home, you'd think like any normal kid would we'll go home and tell mom and dad, but she says, I don't want my mom to have to deal with this because she's dying. So for, you know, seven, eight, nine days, she just lays in bed and balls every night because people think I'm going over there tomorrow And I'm going to get a hold of Allison, and I'm going to look her in the eyes and say, Allison, you must step into your position as a daughter of God. You are not fat. You are not ugly. You have been created by the King of Kings. And Allison, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, you are are a daughter of the king. And there's some of you here now, and you feel like you are fat and ugly. Allison, some of you here, and you feel like you're a horrible mom. Moms, anybody here want to be honest enough, say, yes, I wrestle with that sometimes. Anybody at all? There's a ton of you. Men, Some of you guys here, you you struggle. Maybe you feel like you're a failure in your career, maybe a failure financially. And what happens is we begin to listen to this enemy that is looming over us. We believe the lies. We sign the contracts. And I'm here to tell you today that at Cornerstone, we're going to reverse that curse. We're not going to believe the lies. We will believe that we are men and women, that we are sons and daughters of God. Today, I need some of you to draw a line in the sand and to assume that position. Some of you need to take your kids and you need to deposit that into their DNA and teach them that they are sons and daughters of God. The next truth that I want you guys to know is that you are created for purpose. So King David's exhausted feels like a failure, feels like a nobody, gets into the cave. He starts writing again. For you created my inmost being. He had to remind himself, I am your son, I am your son. Then he says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I've got this vision of what it's like when God is knitting together together a child's DNA in the womb. And I can't get this out of my head. I can just see him saying, oh, this is great. I'm gonna make this, this guy an introvert. We're gonna make him introverted. And so he's like weaving, weaving that weird introvert stuff into you." Or this kid, he's like, oh, this is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna make him an introvert. You know, I'm gonna give this guy like sick, crazy intuition. And so he starts putting that in you." Some of you, he's like, and this guy right here, we're going to give him like a dry sense of humor that he thinks he's funny and nobody else does, but we're going to bless him with that. And he said, and this person, we just need this guy. God's like, he's got a vision. You know, he's like, I'm going to give this guy right here just obsessive compulsive tendencies, like attention to detail. Uh, Any of you out there, point at them if they're here. Who are the obsessive compulsives? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to make this guy great with people. I'm going to give this person supernatural mercy. Mercy you know, that, that sees a situation and their heart just bleeds for it. And what happens is God's knitting us together in our mother's womb. And it's all to take this and, and this quality and this personality and this gift and this passion. And he steps away from it and he looks and he's like, that is one super charged person that will be ready to change the world one day. That's kind of how in my mind I see this whole deal going on. And so God creates us for meaning. He creates us for purpose. But what happens is so many, so many of us live underneath what He's called you, equipped you, created you to be. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork. Can you imagine if we believe that? We should walk around and said, hey, I'm God's handiwork. That's me. Don't mess with me. I'm God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven is my favorite passage. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So Coltrane, I've got – he's my oldest son. His name's actually Cole. We call him Coltrane, Kohler, Bear, Train, uh, Dookie. I don't know why we call him that, but we just do. (laughs) And when he's about five years old, we're riding down the car. We're riding down the street. He's in his car seat, and there's McDonald's french fries everywhere and chicken nuggets and everything. And he's like, Dad, I know what God created me for. I'm like, say what? What are you talking about, Willis? He's like, yeah. He goes, I know what God has put me on this planet for. I'm like, sweet, man. At that time, I was like 33. I'm like, man, I'm 33, 34 years old, and I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And you're four, and you've got it figured out. He said, yes, I do. So Cole is into like a Jeff Corwin, right? Uh... The, uh, the Australian guy as well, the, Steve Earp, the crocodile hunter that passed away. That was a huge week-long mourning process in our home for Cole. But he watches all that, Discovery Channel. He's into that. And she goes, Dad, God has put me on this earth to save the rainforest and all its animals that live in it. I'm like, Wow. Okay, dude, how do you want to get started with that one? Let's get going. I'm like, are you sure? He goes, that's it. He goes, that's what God has created me to do. He's 14. He cares nothing about the rainforest anymore. Okay? We've worked hard to deposit the DNA of calling and purpose into our kiddos, and I love it that he's searching out God's purpose for him. My question for you is what is your rainforest? God did not put you on this planet to collect cash. God did not put you on this planet to make investments and to make your life more comfortable. God put you on this planet to change the stinking world. That's what he's created you to do. What is your rainforest? Is it homeless? Is it people that are hurting? Is it worship? They have worship auditions that are coming up. Is it teaching? Is it serving others? What is your rainforest? And there's some of you that need to get up out of your chair, step into your purpose, because many of you are being selfish with your gifts You're holding them back, and today is the day that you need to unleash them. Use them. Matter of fact, as soon as we're done today, some of you guys need to go find a pastor and say, I'm going to serve. Start somewhere. Maybe it's kids' ministry, maybe it's youth, maybe it's a greeter. I don't know what it is for you. Start somewhere. Use your gifts. Jake Hamilton is a musician, and he's got a song called The Anthem. Check it out on iTunes. It is so good, okay? Here is just a snippet from his song, and no, I'm not singing it. That ain't gonna happen. He says, wake up, child. It's your time to shine. You were born for such a time as this. You are royalty. You have destiny. You have been set free and you will change history. Can you imagine what would happen if Cornerstone started to believe that and started to live that out how God would use that supernatural gifts and purpose to transform and change this community. The next truth that some of you need to believe if you guys are taking notes is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. King David keeps writing He says, God, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I was looking at some stats the other day. This last year alone, there were 9.5 million cosmetic surgeries. All right, breast augmentation, liposuction, Botox, some eyelid surgery. I don't think that stuff's bad in and of itself, but many times the root, the foundation of that is because we don't believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. A ton of us look at magazines and we're like, wow, I want to make my big stuff smaller. Some of you got small stuff, you want to make small stuff bigger, (laughs) right? Some of you want creams to grow hair. Lord, I would use that if that came out. Some of you want creams to take hair away. I believe fundamentally it's an identity problem and that some of you need to just believe that God is your Father and that you are unashamedly, fearfully, and wonderfully made by your Heavenly Father. Some of you need to hear that again. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to introduce you
1: to my wife. Thank you. When I was 16 years old, uh, my life changed drastically. I was a cheerleader back then, was into sports, most things that normal 16-year-old girls do. And on Thanksgiving Day of 1988, a drunk driver was driving the wrong way on the interstate and hit my family's car head on. The vehicle we're in flipped and caught on fire from that um, i sustained severe leg injuries to my right leg and went to the hospital they tried different surgeries long and short was nine operations of the doctors trying to salvage what i had left of a leg and we were up with the decision of do we amputate the leg or do we not and i really even at 16, had a piece that I knew everything would be okay if that was the choice, so we went forward with that. And December 19th of 1988, my right leg was amputated. And then the real work began. Of 16 years old, boys are important, sports are important, um, looks are important. You're really defining who you are, your self-identity, and I just struggled with what was that gonna look like for me now, missing a leg? How was that gonna change my life, and would anybody ever date me, let alone marry me? My parents had a great support system for me. They were constantly reminding me of who I was, and and it was the inside that mattered, and, and you know what, even in scripture, in Psalms 139, God promises that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in His image. Um, I think we limit that to certain aspects of, of maybe what we look like or, or our life's purpose or things that we're going through. And I don't think I really took that scripture to heart. I did enter back into cheerleading, but there were always exceptions. Prosthetics back in 1988 were a little more archaic. I had to wear like a, a belt outside of my clothing with this big contraption and it just was a really difficult time to try to figure out who I was as an amputee Um, and even to this day probably in my mid-30s I tried to get my identity through even My husband or my kids or and God really got a hold of me and I began to sink into the scripture that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, not just from my parents' teaching and and the people around me, but I really began to understand what I was created for. Um, At night when I get up to go to the restroom, I don't sleep in my legs so I crawl to the bathroom or in the morning I crawl to the shower and I have to constantly remind myself you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so I know as a society, we struggle with our physical image, whether you're a boy, a girl, a man, a woman, whatever age category, whatever lifestyle you fall into. When we look in the mirror, we see something. Do we see what Jesus sees though? Or do we see what we think the world wants us to be? So I just really dive in and say, what? Mine happens to be a physical handicap. This, they've done a great job with. Prosthetics, come a long way. This is what, when I look in a full-length mirror, that I look at, but I know that's not what God sees. God sees that there's a plan and a purpose and you're beautiful and you're my daughter and I just really challenge us to dive into that and figure out what your handicap is. Is it emotional? Is it physical? Are you really clinging that Jesus thinks you're fearfully and wonderfully made? Or is it just something that you hear someone taught you? Is it a scripture that you memorized at some time and you've tucked it back in? Really pull that out and start to meditate and understand that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at yourself the way Christ sees you.
0: What is your handicap? For some of you, it's your weight, your height, your lack of height, your intellect. There's some of you here and you get up and you look in the mirror and you absolutely hate what you see. Some of you, it's C-section scars. Some of you, it's birthing scars. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me tell you what this is not. This is not a suggestion. This is a commandment that we would be people that would praise God because we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of our Creator. You are not what others say about you. You are God's masterpiece, not a finger painting. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. When I was in junior high, I would go to my grandparents' house every Christmas and I got the same gift 10 years in a row. Okay, they found, you know, 10 of them. And... Wow, that's a good idea. Let's give them one every year. We're done. (laughs) I remember them handing the gift to me the first time, and I ripped the package open, and I held it up, and it was what every hip, recess-smelling junior high boy wanted for Christmas. It was a brown V-neck sweater from Sears with a dragon And it was awesome what every junior high boy dreams of getting to wear with his parachute pants. (laughs) I took that sweater and I went home and I wadded it up and I threw it in the top of the closet never to see it again. When you came into relationship with Jesus, he gave you a gift. You opened it up And it was the truth that you are a son and daughter of the king. And you looked at it, and many of you have wadded it up, and you've thrown it in the top of your closet, never to see it again. Today is the day you need to go home, climb up in your closet, grab that brown V-neck, Sears dragon sweater, and you need to put it on today. It is time To wear the truth that you are a son and daughter of God. Wear it on. Put it on everywhere that you go. It is time to no longer fall beneath your purpose, but put that sweater on and make a commitment to God that you will use your gifts and your calling for an eternal purpose And there's some of you that need to go home and pull that brown sweater out of the closet and put it on and start believing what your Father says about you and that is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your Heavenly Father thinks that you are smoking hot. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. I ask that you would deposit this into our heart, soul, and mind today. Jesus, I pray that we would live this out, that we would assume the position that you are our Father. And everybody said, Amen.